Yao Ming, former NBA center and 2016 Hall of Fame inductee. It's so beyond me, honestly. A celebrity sensation in his native China, his influence on the game has made a global impact. Yao looks back on nearly a decade in the league, including the rivalry that became a fan favorite. Your fondest memory playing Shaq would be what? <laughs> and the injury that spelled the end of his pro career. How does it feel now? Uh, until today, I feel this foot is almost like completely numb on the top of my foot right there. Really? Yeah. Plus, his experiences growing up in China's state-run athletic system and the changes he's working to promote. It seems like you basically have to choose at an early age, uh, school or sports. Well, that is true and I grew up in this system. All that's coming up next, right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. How surprised were you that some in the American media criticized whether or not you deserved an election? Well, that's, that's a mature society right there. You know, there are always people say from both sides, and uh, you have to just take it and uh, uh, I, and for my opinion is that I don't have the voting rights. It's, I, don't, I didn't vote myself. Right. Uh, somebody else vote me. In, and uh, it flashed me back to the, year, the first time I've been uh, uh, selected as a starting of an All-Star game. You know, everybody say Shaq should deserve that and not yell. But I agree with that, but it's not my choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that. But all I can do is uh, I can't change what happened in the past, but I try to do my best for the future. What do you think it means to you to be elected? Honestly, it's a, it's, it is a surprise that... Uh, Why? You know, I think maybe I can play in 2036 instead of being elected for the Hall of Fame at 36 years old. Right. Uh, I, I think that um, the guy, the, the name on the, on the, in the Hall of Fame's war is so beyond me, honestly. And, and look at the same class, Shaquille O'Neal, AI, you know, they all did, done a remarkable job in, in their career and after career. Uh, so I think, you know, I'm not there yet, in my opinion. Really? Yeah. Did you not think you would be elected? Uh, maybe not that early. Maybe another ten years also. I know a lot of guys, you know, on the waiting list for so so many years. Maybe some guys don't even see it when they're alive, when they're still alive. Given all the storylines around the two of you playing together, uh, you and Shaquille O'Neal, how cool is it to end up getting inducted in the same exact class as him? Oh, I'm just glad I'm. The... <laughs> I, I just, uh, I just uh, glad that uh, I didn't, you know, elected well, the same year as the Campbell Motombo. I know he's last year's class. Uh, he's way too old for for me. I, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good with not with uh, not not with him. How would you say the popularity of the games grown from when you first entered the NBA in China? Popularity is unquestionable here in China. Basketball has become a uh, top two sports uh, in the country, uh, besides uh, soccer. Um, and then we have better record than soccer. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that's that's one part of we, we're really proud of it. But we still have a, many uh, miles ahead of heading of us need to go. Um, and talk about the popularities. It's not only uh, depend on players, but also uh, you know the media's. Uh, the, the the journalist how they uh, how they uh, write down the stories to share uh, to the fans and have them getting interesting about the sports involved in sports or participating in the sports uh, is the future of our, uh, our our game. You know the difference in cultures. Um, one example of that is um, the Chinese people viewed you as representing them. So if you were to fail, uh, the Chinese people would view it as uh, th them failing. How much pressure did you feel when you played because of that? It is a lot of pressure. Uh, I remember the moment I um, I ready to step on a plane to Houston, back to 2002, at the airport. Uh, Shanghai Hongqiao Airport, and uh, you, you thought about turning around. I thought about turning around. Well, you did your homework, <laughs> really. Thank you. Yeah, I, you know that, you know that, that the way to the plane there's a tunnel right there. You just walk on there, walk on the plane, right? So um, I, I feel that tunnel is so dark right there. It's almost like a black hole trying to eat me. Why? Uh, and, and and there's so many uh, uh, generous uh, the, the, the cameraman behind me use the light all kind of stuff to flash uh, cameras that's kind of a you know that's one side is so bright the other side make me feel so dark right there that no not mean dark but it's like a pressure uh, it really make me think oh maybe I should turn around right there <laughs> but that's all it's almost like I feel like that's one-way ticket it's a one-way ticket I think the good thing is, is my parents taught me that to forget everything when you step on plane, uh, step on the court. That that court should be pure, pure and uh, clean, and clean your mind, clean your all the essence, the thoughts right there. Just focus on your teammates, your your plan, and the ring, and the basketball hoop right there. But. You know, I, I, I've been thinking about you. I, I remember what uh, you know, I, I said this before in, in, in a book. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I work with uh, Rick Bilger. Sure. <clears throat> that if I, f I feel I f if I fail, that means the entire country has failed. Something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I think. Well, that means that don't trust a word from a, from a young kid at 23 years old. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's a little bit too much of a, a self-centered. Of that, but, but I mean, here you were, the first player of your caliber to be on a stage that big, and you had captivated an entire nation of people. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know that that was that far off from the truth, right? Well, maybe it is. It exists. It, it is a fact, but it's not that that. Serious, mm -hmm. or I don't know what other word I can use here. Uh, maybe that that uh, inflected that how much pressure I have. Mm -hmm. But what if what if I felt you felt, <laughs> and there's other people will, 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 will replace you later. 
No, um, it's just you, you failed. There's always a replacement. You end up missing the first two weeks of training camp because of your obligations to the Chinese national team. How much of an initial disadvantage did you feel like you were at having missed the first two weeks of training camp? Well, before I missed that two weeks training camp, I missed the whole summer playing, you know, the summer league, the rookie, uh, rookie class, everything. Now, everything you have to look at both sides. Uh, uh, be honestly, I'm a little bit, not just a little bit, I'm, I'm scared about I'm coming to the United States. Now, before I come, I hear a lot about NBA, NBA players, the most physical league in the world, and people like to challenge you, it doesn't matter how tall you are. They like, uh, they, they like you hit you uh, with a very, very physical elbow and push you uh, out of a pain. And almost like um, a wrestling on court. No, a lot of it. Before you play, you only can hear from the from news, from TV, from. And that's how it sounded to you. That's how it sounded for me, you know. And we know uh, that uh, uh, Chinese players didn't play very physical. No, at most physical level at here is not that physical in the United States. So, first thing is like, am I getting hurt in a very short time? Um, that would scare me a little bit. So your NBA debut, you were scoreless, and of course, you know everybody in the U.S. wants immediate satisfaction. So when you're scoreless, you're universally hailed as a bust after the first game. You know, uh, how concerning was it for you going scoreless in that first game? A little bit embarrassing. 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 A little bit embarrassing. Not just a little bit, but. Embarrassing. But I gave myself a little bit cushion there, you know. I should keep top of myself, and also my parents is helping on that. We're saying, oh, we're just new here, um, and uh, and we, uh, we we need some time to make adjustments. No, you know, make some excuse for yourself at the very first game. Sure. But at the bottom line, I tell myself that, um, you know, Everybody have a start. Uh, I know LeBron started with 20 points game. Uh, I know a lot of guys start will have a great start, but uh, most important is where you're ending it. And you can't change your start. It's already happened. In, as your performance is increasing, the uh, Houston fans uh, are begin chanting a song that I understand is your favorite, Yao Ming, Yao Ming, Yao Ming, Yao Ming. How much did uh, you like it? I know the, those fans is happy about what I did and after that, uh, after that, after first couple games. Um, they are dedicated to a show that's supporting to me, to the Rockets, uh, and um, but honestly, drove you crazy. It right? literally drove me crazy. First of all, I, I, I don't like the song at all. <laughs> you know, they repeated just to repeat your name, time, time, uh, time after time again. And um, otherwise, is I, I try to keep myself, um, I try to keep myself low key. And you, you, you can have a good game today, but you never know what happened tomorrow. What were some of the more notable American cultural differences that really took some getting used to when you came over from China to the U.S. to play for the Rockets? I said, not really many. I have to say that no, because, because this city, you can see right here, Shanghai is very open-minded. 
there. And we have a, you know, each day if you walk on a city, I would say very often you were, you were, you were met a guy, a gentleman, a lady who from a European or United States. So I think that the, the culture of this city give me, already gave me an educate how to adjust to the, to, uh, to the cultures in the United States. Explain how you say uh or um in Mandarin and the <laughs> first time you said it in the locker room had some heads turned. Well, um, yeah, that's, um, <laughs> you sure you want to say that here? No, I don't want to. I don't want to. I know what you're talking about, but it's, it would bring me some troubles. It is, that's a, yeah, a little bit problem there, but after I explained to all my players, they didn't understand. And it was, I, I'm not sure how you spell it, but N-A-Y, N-A-Y, -A uh, and then G-U-H, G-U-H, N-A-I-G-E. N-A-I-G-E. Right, that means is, I know that's a way. How, how does it sound? I don't want to say that okay. here. You know, if there's any of a misunderstand, I would be in trouble. It, it, it comes, it sounds like a racial slur though. And right. when, when you're saying that instead of uh, uh, uh. Right. <laughs> what kind of looks did you get in the locker room? It's actually, it's not me. It's, it's Colin, my oh, interpreter. Oh, Colin, the interpreter, okay. Well, let's think about it, he is, <laughs> white, right? And he say that in the locker room, but he he talked to me, so other players look at him and you want some troubles, and then we explain to him, and I prove that that's that's true, you know, and okay, that's all fine, but we don't mean, we don't mean bad, but in our language, right? It just means ah uh, or um, essentially, right? Here but language, it right? we're making some misunderstanding here, you know, just <laughs> be careful, right? How about your favorite American slang that you learned? I like yo. Yo. <laughs> How about uh, favorite food? That's your favorite food? I like, I like uh, Philly cheesesteak. Philly cheesesteak? Uh-huh. Um, tell about the difference you recognized in uh, alcohol between China and the U.S. In the States, alcohol, you, you drink in a bar, you taste a little bit and put it down and then talk to your friend, well, obviously, it should be like that, but maybe some said, but not do. But in China, when you say cheers, that means you have to finish your glass. And we do that very often in the dinner, in the clubs. Um, so that gets you drunk pretty fast. If you were healthy in 2009, <clears throat> how much do you wonder if the Rockets would have won an NBA championship um, that year? Well, first of all, there's no if. You know, it's, it's a waste of time. But you do think about it, sometimes think about it back, and you did, and I did. And I think if we can pass Lakers, we have a pretty good chance to win a championship that year. What do you think led to you being injured so much? Um, something you can't change was my weight uh, and my high arch, um, uh, particularly, particularly my high, high arch. What impact did that have? Uh, well, from what I learned, from what I learned from uh, from the doctors, they tell me the high arch will will give you uh, the high arch player will get a lot of stress on that uh, vinicular bone, the bone that uh, have very have don't have very good blood supplies compared to other bone on there. If that bone uh, starts have some uh, stress fracture, 
it's hard to heal. That's what it is, what I have. How many serious injuries have you had? I think I had one, two, three, four, five or six. Five or six. What's been the most significant surgery you've had? Uh, definitely 2009, the reconstruction. And what was involved in that? Uh, that surgery needed to put a, a, a play onto my uh, top of my foot uh, to stable my foot, and I put maybe seven or eight screws onto there to stabilize. And also needs they call it reconstruction, and also need reconstruction means need to break my big toe to break it and uh, make a little bit sh different than before, so it can lower the arch. So the, the, the stress is going down, we're split out by the entire foot, not only on that part. Uh, and they, they did something on my heel, doing one surgery. I, I, I think I'm in the operating room for totally five hours, around five hours. How painful was the whole process? Um, I have some surgery before this. Um, Usually, when you they, they put you in in the recovery room or your or your room later, they will give you some of a you know some of butt can you can push and when when you have a push they will, they will automatically give you they will have a machine right here will automatically give you a morphe shot. And uh, I never had that before I had this surgery. <laughs> I, I not mean the other surgery didn't pain. I just feel that I don't want drug on this. You know, sure. I don't want to have that too much and. But you needed it for this one? But for this one, I, I, I took a, not just a couple. <laughs> right. So from October to June, you always played for the Houston Rockets. And then following the NBA season concluding, you would go back to China to pick up your Chinese national team basketball responsibilities. How much do you wonder if you had a less demanding year-round basketball schedule? if that would have had any impact on how much you were injured? Um, if we, we can manage that better, of course, we can get avoid some of the injury. And also, you know, I have some, can have some time to <clears throat> do the, uh, doing some training, like a muscle training. You think it could have been managed better? Uh, well, there's no if. But those experiences, I believe, will be helpful in the future for other Chinese players. Um, explain why in China, it seems like you basically have to choose at an early age, uh, school or sports. Uh, why is that? Well, sports has the power to inspire people and to uh, shape the characters. Uh, that's how sports uh, really can do. And obviously our leader understand that kind of a uh, and power and, and willing to put a resource in there. But back to 60 years ago, our country is not, uh, uh, it's still underdeveloped, uh, entire country. You know, after World War II, after Civil War, all kind of stuff, uh, you know, everything is waiting for rebuild. And um, the sports probably have to take a back seat a little bit for, for a little time. But unlike the U.S., that the sports is part of education. It's more, it's PE classes, a class, and you have NCAA, you have a, a state championship game for, for the high school level and, and all kinds of stuff. We, we have that now, but obviously still maybe decades behind U.S. Prog uh, uh, program. And because 
uh, just uh, you know because that the, the system is being separate. What would your school and practice schedule entail when you were growing up? I, I went to the sports first level academy when I was nine years old. We still study as a normal student uh, from eight o'clock all the way to two. And then the difference is we have to participate a three hour practice after that and then homework. And the rest of the kids can do, they still can play sports, but not like a central practice. It's, it's, it's a very random practice, random play, and you can do your homework and, and go do whatever. We don't have that kind of electric time for it. That's, in, is, I keep that way until 14, the, 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 the junior team of, uh, of the Shanghai City think I'm good enough to they, they draft me to the next level. So from that, that I have a, I have a very minimal uh, education time, um, but a maximum uh, practice time, almost, uh, I would say somewhere around, my first six months were really, really hard, 10 hour a day for six day a week. 10 hours a day, six days a week yeah, at, four, four, at 14 six, years old. 14, it's actually 13 and a half. So first six months is really, really hard and that, that, that is try almost like a, you can, you can think of a boot camp right. for, for the military. In the first couple months, now they train really, really hard, not for really find a good guy, but try to wipe out those, those who didn't qualify. Mm -hmm. So that, that is what training camp for, for the first month. What do you for remember from those First oh, months, I lost about forty kilos. Oh, did you? <laughs> uh, I wish I can do that now. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, uh, that is what to do. And after that, we we would get back, and, and you know, we, we have much smaller group now. After six months, we uh, we, we we train almost like uh, four four hour, maybe five hour a day. Uh, still six day a week, but we have more time to to study. If you could make uh, any changes to the system, what changes would you make and why? Well, I, I think that's a big question. Uh, it's not just me, and, and, uh, and I can tell you that a lot of people think about that. Sure. Uh, it's, it's that, that problem is already put under the Michael sculpt to everybody. To well, I, I ask you though because you've had the benefit of having been in both systems, or you know, yeah, having yeah, yeah. seen, um, you know, having gone through right. the system that you did, and then also having some understanding of what the American system is. Yeah, the the change of this system, I would say, have you have to define from sports to sports. But for the basketball, I think. You know, we always say why we cannot find five guy on a court or eleven guy on a basketball, uh, football, uh, soccer field, uh, playing world level among one point three billion people. The answer is because we didn't elect people. We let, we didn't uh, select player from one point or one point three billion. We have only three thousand registered basketball athletes and about six thousand registered soccer athletes in that system. We're so small talent pool right there. And to what extent is that because the recruiters who are making decisions for who to select base those decisions solely based on the height of a player's parents? Right. We, we try to recruit a player from a very, very young age. Mm -hmm. you, basketball is a, uh, a incur, uh, require a couple of talents right there. Size, of course, you know, speed, strength, 
mentality and, and basketball IQ. But if you really want find a kid into that system at the years of around 10, what you can find from there? Size only. Right. <laughs> so, and then turn out our basketball team become only the biggest team, but, but we always can find other kind of a, 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 a shortness or, or the weakness from others. How far along are people with understanding the need to make the reform to be able to find those sorts of uh, shorter players who could have as much success? I think we should ask a question that bigger than that. Uh, bigger than that, but also we're back to the original sure. question, which is what is what is sports for us? It's it's just like I mean the system between sports and education is basically the same idea, is the same idea. That that is a centralized of those kids who had the talent to give them a best education. And hopefully they become an engineer or great uh, leader or some kind of stuff uh, and a contribution for for a nation for a country. Uh, make their contribution. Uh, so I, I think, first of all, sports is, like I said, it is a, such a great a strat a strategy to educate people, to raise the kids, which not only teach them, you know, become a stronger man, a, a faster man, a, in, a, and physically, but also mentality. Uh, they can become much tougher than before. They learn how to teamwork, how to competition, how to respect the rule, respect. Uh, your teammate and respect yourself, such such thing like that. So the first step is then making sure people understand the educational benefit of sport, and then after that, opening it up to uh, more people. What we have we have to measure that, okay. you know, but I would say take the education as a first step. Mm -hmm. Just uh, you when walking with a left and right to left like a marching. Yeah. But you can you always lean on left, you, you tripled. Right. <laughs> or you just, you know, jumping, and you probably have a knee problem after that. So you purchased uh, the Shanghai Sharks, the team you once played for back in the day. Um, since purchasing it, what are some of the changes you've worked to implement within the organization? A professional team had only one goal to win the championship. And um, uh, I and my team, uh, my team and I uh, are focused on, on that. We try to strengthen the team, strengthen coach staff, uh, and do everything we can to uh, to purchase another uh, championship for the city. For the city, that is uh, that's the only goal we have. But for doing that, we have a lot, we, we need a lot of uh, lots lots of uh, experienced people. Players, coaches, and managers, to 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 uh, extend our our circle. And how do you go about finding those people? First of all, it's traditionally sports area, uh, professional uh, athlete, uh, coaches. The coaches were defined in two groups. One is uh, one is a senior team who are playing in the professional league. The other one is uh, managing and coaching in a junior team, just like the team I played before, and uh, recruiting some young talents uh, athletes, uh, give them a uh, well-trained, give them uh, some education. Well, again, this is still an uh, old system we have right now that uh, whether you like or not, it still exists. Right. Uh, some of the coaches have to be a babysitter. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's basically what we'll do. Explain how the CBA's 
been run historically and how you've been working to privatize it? Well, CBA is a system that, uh, how, does, how, do, how can I put it this way? It, it, the season is, the basketball season is exist uh, almost uh, over 60 years, like I said, 1952, you know, when, 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 uh, when, when the sports bureau being established. Um, but back then, uh, it's only uh, almost like an Olympic game. You know, we play once a year like that. And instead of a four year, maybe we'll play one year. But we have, a, you know, like, like the, the, the schedule would be like Olympics. You know, two weeks maximum gone for the year. But back to 1955, 1955, that's the first experiment season for CBA. Not called CBA yet, but we have all the team to, uh, as eight. Back then, A-team uh, play uh, home away game, just like NBA, for the first time in early 1955. I remember I, uh, I watched some of the game in Shanghai. Uh, and 1995-96 uh, season was, is the first season, crossed a year and play home away. So until today, it's, it's just about 20 years. Uh, it looks like NBA schedule but behind that, the management is very, very different. Owners will pay uh, the wages for players and coaches, but uh, basically, is CBA, uh, Chinese Basketball Association, run the league and tell what to do. Uh, and now, the uh, now that the owners feel that we we have so much pressure on the cost today, uh, and because the, you know we have, we don't have the kind of salary cap control. And, uh, and you, you guys are the ones spending all the money, but don't get to make the decisions. I think that's a part of a reason. I, th I think that's a big part of a reason too. And uh, but but we, we we did a couple of rounds of uh, negotiation, and today I, I think is we we're heading to a, a course that uh, the owner will have a more speaking rights than before. How challenging mm -hmm. have you found it to? make the government uh, less involved in the league? Well, I think it is not about dependence or not from the government, but have the best people to do their best, do their familiar area. If we admit that basketball league is a business, of course, it's a sports too. Now we should have, have sports people basketball person and business people in the chair to manage it daily. And if those changes are made, how much more success do you think the league can have? Well, it's 1.3 billion population of marketing. So the big potential audience. Uh, yeah, and, and I think the NBA already helped us a lot to uh, promoting sports here, so it would be, should be uh, easier for us. The 2008 Beijing Olympics when uh, you carried the flag, I know it's a, a pivotal and very memorable moment from your career. What was your involvement in that process? Olympics is, is a remarkable um, in, uh, in China, I mean in all over the world too. Um, but I mean even more extremely in, in Chinese, in Chinese, that uh, it's almost like gateway for us to touch world. When you have a chance, when I have a chance to carry the flag of my country to walk 
you know, to lead the entire sports delegation walking to the stadium, that's just like a life dream become true. What, what was the moment that you were involved with from those games that is most memorable to you today? Probably the first game uh, against the United States when we ran into the stadium. Uh, that we are impacted by, by the, how to say this, it's, it's a unique atmosphere uh, in the arena, Ukasong Arena, where the fans, how loud the voice is. And it's a first, for the first time, maybe, uh, for, for the first time I felt that the floor is shaking. The floor is really, really shaking, and you, uh, I, I, uh, I feel that the heart is a connect the entire land with, with all the people. I know that's just very strange feel, but I do have that feel in the moment. Not just those in the stadium, but everyone in China. Yeah, that, the emotion is so strong. What was your involvement in bringing the 2022 Olympics to China, or back to China? Uh, uh, I said this, 2008 is such a, a big event and also a great education for our people. You know, through that sports, we understand much more than just winning or losing on a game. Through Liu Shan's story, through uh, all the kind of stuff. You know, people may not understand at that moment, but they started at the beginning to realize that a couple of years after, you know, how we should treat the, the sports games. And I believe 2022 winter game will give us, us another lesson, another opportunity to get to uh, next level. Explain what you've been doing to try and rid China of shark fin soup. Well, uh, the shark fin soup is a traditional food on the royal family's table uh, over centuries, over centuries. and. Uh, now, because our economic guru that can be served on the regular people's uh, dinner too, uh, obviously it's still very expensive, but it's not uh, expendable. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem is that uh, the problem is that there's so many sharks being fishing from water that really damage the, the ecosystem in the water, and so without the the, the top of predators as shark that. Uh, uh, the secondary of the fish were grown and, and the next levels of uh, those shellfish or constant were gone and the water quality were really uh, damaged. Now, at the end, we damaged ourselves. Before 2006, that's the year we started up uh, that program, that 72 million of sharks being fished from water per year. So without control, the shark can go extinction inside of a decade. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that's pretty amazing. Uh, and after that, after a couple of years, you know, we, 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 we try to spread a message and try to prevent that happens that uh, the price of a shark fin is dropped almost over, over half. That means consuming is down. Not enough, but it's, it's, it's a step. That's a step, strong step. Tell about the stand you've taken against elephant and rhino ivory poaching. I've been asked a lot of questions, why save those animals? If you try to say, say animals are friend to need to be safe, why pig, why cow, why sheep? You know, we eat those things. We eat the animal because physically we need it. And a rhino horn uh, with, with, uh, with ivory, that is not something we need physically. 
we need it physically. And, and medically, I already proved that rhino horn have no different than the fingernail by our, by our own. So it's really, it's not necessary to uh, take uh, any wild animal's life to, for a small piece of their uh, product right there. And on the other hand, that uh, wild animal approach is really caused a lot of uh, local issues in Africa. Or which local people in Africa depend on those tourists go there to safari to to see the animal to generate a fund for the school for the for the uh, uh, infantry construction and their their education for a hospital and there's there's a number that each elephant lost is cost almost sorry I lost a number probably somewhere around twenty kiss of uh, drop uh, each elephant being approached uh, where it costs 20, 20 kids drop from the school. So that is something that we have to deal with. When we, when we reach to a pocket, we try to buy it, it's, it's equally to kill, uh, to kill a future of the kids. I know you and Dikembe have been close over the years. How much do you think he influenced your charity efforts? Well, uh, we have uh, we have some kind of a comments uh, for uh, in our background. We all come from a, a, a country far, far away from the United States. Uh, we all play basketball and travel to states as an international player in the in, in, in the league. And uh, but uh, none of us uh, um, uh, uh, nature language or English. And uh, you know we. Uh, we all know that uh, okay. If the U.S. is here, our country probably right right here. That, w and we have that fortune that uh, to change our life. But there's still millions of people uh, there that uh, we can do something for for them. That is uh, our uh, our comment right there. And uh, that is what I learned from uh, Dikembe. And basketball is our job, and basketball changed our life. Uh, and and we try. Uh, uh, spread this uh, this experience and hopefully more people can benefit from it. How did the idea for your foundation come about? My foundation uh, uh, established in 2008. Uh, it's uh, pretty soon after the great earthquake in Sichuan province. That earthquake took uh, uh, over 70,000 uh, souls in there. You know, it's, it's a hard moment for, for this for my country, everybody trying to do their part to to support uh, uh, to to help uh, our countrymen right there. So we start a foundation and try to you know uh, donate and also raise some funds to uh, support uh, Sichuan Province to to rebuild some of the school been damaged in the earthquake uh, and uh, as a first step. And also, not, not only here, but some other de underdeveloped area in China. So far, we have 17 schools already finished. Uh, half of them are in Sichuan province, and half of them are spread out in the western China underdeveloped area. What of the work that you've done so far would you say you're most proud of? You know, uh, this Yao School uh, basketball season program, we, start, we started five years ago. Uh, the idea is that we recruit a lot of the young uh, volunteers uh, from the modern, uh, normal university uh, and send them, uh, train them and send them to those schools uh, who need it, uh, including the school built by us, and have them to train kids to play basketball. Of course, but 
our goal is very clear that we're not trying to find the next uh, talent players to play professional. We try and train them and teach them and learn those characters, res respect, the rules, teamwork, and leadership among the, among the, in, in the PE classes right there. And I strongly believe that they, they will learn it. You know, some of the kids, are, we, call this, we call this here in China, we call left behind kids because the parents have migrated away to, to other city to find a job or something and left them behind in, the, in a village in their home, uh, live with their grandparents. The grandparents are either too old or too ill sometimes, a lack of energy to take care of them. So they become pretty much isolated. So a, a sports, team sports can put all the kids together. It's, it's, it try to similarly as a, 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 like you have a sibling play with you, some kind of that, you know. Uh, Hopefully that that can help. Some of some of the change from the kids that really make me feel that we do we do the right thing. So I, I remember this from our last interview five years ago. Uh, we were talking about fame and privacy, and you made the comment that you know if you could do anything t today, um, you'd love to walk down the street in Shanghai with your wife holding your daughter and an ice cream cone and go unnoticed. Um, how difficult is it for you to find privacy today? <laughs> uh, that, nothing changed. We had a good day. Another day uh, at the Disney Resort in Shanghai. Uh, they just opened uh, two months ago. Uh, they have all the VIPs uh, pre-open uh, tour in their day, two days before the grand opening. It's very less people in there and, uh, you know, uh, we had a good time there, walking the park, in the resort, and uh, uh, get on all that kind of a game and play a little bit. That's uh, that's one of a kind, uh, one kind of a joy I, we don't have for a long time. What have you found to be the most difficult part of fame? <laughs> Maybe it's this, that my fame somehow has come my height. Uh, and uh, well, I, 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 I'm not denying it because I have to admit that's my effect. Uh, but I can't, that's one thing I cannot hide, but other people can. You know, if like you are Jackie Chan or you are. Um, or Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger who I would just think about it. Yeah, 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 just normal heights. He can know, put on a hat and a head, a glass, sunglasses. sunglasses. Yeah, I did that too, but it didn't work. Right. That's one thing I feel uncomfortable with. What what makes you uncomfortable about it? Yeah, I can't I can't hide anywhere, and, uh, and people can recognize me from a hundred meter away. <laughs> right. But when you were growing up, I understand you always wanted to be really famous. Um, if you had to, the if the Yao today was talking to the Yao, who was a kid and growing up, what would the Yao today tell that kid about fame? Enjoy a moment. Before you get famous, really, <laughs> uh, I everybody try get famous, and it's it's unfair for us to say, for me to say that I, I you know the f the fame is is hurt me more. It's it's unfair for other people, you know that that <laughs> it's in our world that uh, uh, that your back is not hurt when you're talking standing. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's in our world, right? Uh, but I think I try, I, I try and use my fame to do, do something to 
to, I think it's the right to do, uh, which I don't waste my day and don't waste my life. When you were growing up, um, or I guess still today, uh, I believe your mom was six foot two, or is six foot two, uh, played for China's national team. Your dad, I believe, is around six foot ten, played for the Shanghai City team, uh, as is customary in China. Uh, tell about what the doctor said when your parents took you there to have the doctor x-ray your bones when you were growing up in terms of how tall you would end up being? Actually, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can be that tall, yeah. Why Why not? I just, you know, I, I play basketball, and, and that's a very, that's a proud of family. I've been told many, many times, thousands of times, uh, by my neighborhood, by people I, I I know that oh your mom you know daddy the great was a great player back to the 70s. It's, it's a natural feeling that kids feel proud of their parents or what they did in the past, and you want to become one of those, and you don't want to let them down, and you try to follow their steps. So that when I learned I can be that tall, and when I was young, that okay okay maybe that that will support that will help me to. Uh, to, uh, to, to to pursue that dream, I feel proud that I can make me my parents feel proud for me. But even though you feel felt proud about it then, I understand at times growing up your height made you uncomfortable as well. Why? I don't like feel be different. Uh, yeah, I don't feel like be to be uh, different. Still now. Oh yeah, but I can take that much naturally. Okay. <laughs> it's it's a waste of my time to keep thinking that way. So you're you're comfortable with it now, but when you were growing up, maybe you were a little insecure. Uh, oh, I, oh, I, oh, I should say I get used to it, and I I just face to myself said, okay, I don't want to waste my time right there. I got to do something meaningful. How did uh, your AAU coach? almost forced you into dunking because if you didn't, he would have punished all your other teammates. <laughs> yeah, that, that's me, you know, <laughs> that, that is really mean. So that made me feel so hurt. It made me feel so hurt that uh, my teammate have to run for, because my mistake, you know. I, I just, back then, dunk for me is like embarrassing people, uh, disrespect something. Uh, Obviously, it's not hard. <laughs> it's just well, not. It's, it's, it's a hard culture. for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a culture. While culture wise, it's it's not fitting to me back then. It's take time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but given the Chinese culture stresses teamwork and not sticking out, I, I think the CBA didn't even keep individual stats for a long time. So, how different is that from how you found the American culture to be? Well, I remember this once. Um, I remember when I realized when we see we or me is the difference between we and and I. The different I found out found out that I forget which year, but it's a game we play against Philadelphia in Philly, Philadelphia Sixers in Philly. That. That game we lost by 40, really, really bad game. And after that, again, we are, have a routine, a media, press, come into a locker room and interview everything, and you really have to talk. 
you know, how you feel. And uh, basically, we said, oh, we didn't play. Obviously, you have to say something, you know, playing ourselves. You know, we didn't play well, we didn't execute well, we didn't play tough. They, they, they come to kick our ass, whatever. We said, we and we and we. And, and, and that moment, uh, um, there's something crossed my mind. I said, why I say we? Why not I say I? Because because if you admit that you are leader of the team, you have to take a responsibility. When we you say we, that means you I try hide behind this we. And, and that if we over complain, uh, saying about what we do, what we should do is actually I don't want to do. That that is what it really means. And we try okay, if everybody do, I do. So which one first? Or should I? Let's do it. Let me do it, and everybody follow me. And what kind of attitude we should put out there? So if we continue to see, say we, then we should add another A and K after we. That's weak. Tell about meeting Michael Jordan for the first time in San Diego. That is probably the first time I, I know what a nervous is. I had a couple F before in my academic class, but I've never been that, that nervous. You hadn't. <laughs> no, I'm just joking to joke about it, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel very nervous. Why? I and can't explain. Can't explain. I'm just nervous. How well do you remember him talking trash to you? I don't understand. I don't understand. What do you mean? I just don't understand the English back then. What do you remember now from the, you know, being around him that first time? I remember I've been called up for a shooting game. They, he asked you know, every kid who want to come up to shoot five spots, baseline, 45 wing, top of key, and other side, that if you made five shots, if you miss two in a row, you have you have to you know sit down. If you made five all of the spot, uh, obviously you can miss one, but you cannot miss twice in a row. That uh, you you can reward by a, a latest model of Jordan shoes. And I'm a pretty good shooter, but I remember how my my risk you know extend out for for the shooting. It's totally not me. <laughs> it's totally not me. I missed the first one, I made the second one, and the second spot I missed two in a row, I'm just get out. Just, I, that's how nervous I am. How strange was it to consider that you were, I believe, uh, a consular at, at the camp, and then five years later, you're playing against Michael Jordan in the NBA in his final All-Star game? Well, if you think back, if, if I think back, it's amazing for my rookie season. I play against so many superstar. Obviously, Michael is, is top of them uh, in my first year. Also, their last year, Michael, uh, John Stockton, David Robinson. Uh, I play a few years uh, against uh, Richard Miller. Uh, too bad I missed Charles Barkley. I like him very much. Those guys are really, really uh, brought up NBA uh, back to the 90s. You know, really get worth attention to the NBA back to the 90s. And I have the fortune to play against uh, not many, but one or two games uh, my, to the beginning of my career in the NBA. That's, uh, that's amazing. 
What was the first time you realized you wanted to play in the NBA? Uh, the first time I watched the NBA game is uh, is the Knicks against the Rockets uh, in the '94 final, best seven uh, series. Um, um, Akeem Olajuwon. Akeem Olajuwon against Patrick Ewing. Uh, Patrick Ewing. I, I didn't play against both of them, but uh, fortunate, very fortunate. Uh, I have a, I have a couple of years spent with Patrick. A couple of years spent with me as my assistant, as my coach. Uh, and that is uh, one part. And then become the second the three championship in a row, three three championship in a row as, as Chicago Bulls. Uh, two years against against uh, Utah Jazz. Star John Stockton and Carmelo, Malone, uh, and that really get everybody's attention. But again, they are too far away from him. They, the, the Lakers summer league team play against our national team, beat us by thirty or forty points when Kobe is first year drafted by, the, just drafted by the Rockets. Uh, I'm sorry, the Lakers. Right. And we were okay. That's just summer league. You know, that's a national team. You know, that's the best team in our country. You know, we need almost like get a step by step, but that's maybe that's a twenty step behind before me. And I, no, I can't imagine for that. No, that's that dream is too far. And when I started thinking I have the ability, I might have a chance to play NBA. Is is that uh, a a U league I played um, back to uh, 98. I play against a couple guys, and they told me that, that they have potential being, being lottery pick in NBA, uh, like uh, Tyson Chandler and some other guys right there, uh, who've been drafted um, by the NBA. Okay, if I, I can play, I play pretty well against them. Uh, I might have a chance. So let's see from Paris. From uh, the, the summer to uh, 1998, that kind of experience really opened my eye uh, and, and extend my uh, my confidence in there. If if I never had a chance to walk out the door, that I might just uh, uh, just uh, just uh, a normal player in China so far. Your fondest memory of playing Shaq over the years you were in the league would be what? I think it's my it's our first one, first matchup. And obviously after that we go back and forth and, and obviously, you know, his experience in his skill and his strength of of course is beyond every player in another level. I'm I'm just calling to a, a lucky a lucky timing that when when he is just about, I don't know if he agreed that, but he is just about past his peak and, and slightly uh, floating down. And, and I'm still young enough that I can compete against. So imagine sometimes, I, sometimes I imagine that if I was Dikembe in what year it is when Dikembe played for Philadelphia in the final against the Lakers, you know, you know how tough Dikembe is, but Shaquille O'Neal still overthrew him. I don't know if Dikembe will agree with that. I'll ask him. Uh, and those are, those are great centers, and I just hope I just hope that I can be part of them. Thanks for listening to the In Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Graham Bensinger, and visit GrahamBensinger.com for TV times in your area. 
Also, don't forget to check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger for hours of extra content. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.